You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Sometimes the Lord uses things in our lives as the wooden spoon. He uses things in our life. A lot of them, though, we bring on ourselves. We call them consequences. We call them consequences, you know what I mean? And and we see that. I don't like to think of God with a big wooden spoon. It's not our picture of God because he is a God of love. But sometimes he disciplines out of love. And it says... Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise when the Lord chastens you. In today's message, Pastor Dave talks about how your perception of God is not one of him holding a wooden spoon over you. Although he is a God of love, sometimes the Lord will use a wooden spoon to discipline us. These disciplinary actions are often brought upon yourself. You might even call them consequences. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 11 as he begins his message, Did He or Didn't He? Last time we met and studied Judges two weeks ago, we met a man named Jephthah. They called him a mighty man of valor in verse 1. I think it was pretty cool. Verse 1 of chapter 11 says, was a mighty man of valor. So he already had a reputation of being kind of like a strong guy. But we said last time that he had a stigma. He had a stigma attached to him and that he was the son of a harlot. He was a son of a heart. His father, Gilead, had relations with a woman that was not his wife, and she bore him this son. He carried this stigma around with him. He was driven out of the family by the other sons. You can read in verse 2, Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So he already has this stigma about him. He leaves the household and he flees to a place called Tob, T-O-B. And he bands together with a group. And the Bible, if you look at verse 3, then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. So he doesn't seem to be like a real good guy, but worthless. And I thought about this word worthless, so I went into my Hebrew Bible, and worthless actually means empty or idle. And I found that to be curious because all these men banded together that were empty. They, they didn't have anything to live for. They, they were empty inside. And I thought it was interesting. And the first thing that came to mind, you know, was the old saying, birds of a feather. You know, well, there's something about this. There's something about this banding together where people who are suffering, people who are having problems band together. People of like 
incomes, people of like careers, like businesses, like they band together. And even cast out, you see this a lot. The people who are cast out, the people who don't feel loved, they're looking for that love. They're looking for that acceptance from people and they band together themselves. You know, some may say misery loves company. That's an old adage. And that may be very well true. But I think what happens is they're trying to seek those that they can identify with. They try to seek those to identify with those that might know the pain that they're in. People want people to know the pain and look for someone who might've experienced that. You know, scripture tells us that some of the reasons we go through some of the things that we do go through and so that when somebody comes up, you can minister to that person. You can minister to that person. I thought it was great sitting next to um, the, I don't know if they call them pastors or priests from the Episcopal Church uh, yesterday at breakfast. And I was talking to the man and I had met him before, a nice gentleman, and he said that he had just had back surgery. And I said, well, where did you get your back surgery from? He goes, oh, I got it from a doctor, a great doctor up in Summers Point. I said, what was his name? He said, oh, uh, Dr. Panapin. I went, well, that was the doctor who operated on my wife. People want that. So, So sometimes the Lord lets you go through various things, trials, tribulations, hard times, all that kind of things. And the scripture says that when somebody else comes to it, now you're ready to talk to them. Well, this is what the Lord did for me in this situation. You know, I mean, that's one of the main reasons we have freedom through Christ is because, you know, of, of, of the things that, that people go through. Well, we know that there's freedom in Christ. We just need to lead people towards that way. Jesus was like that. It's called compassion. Jesus was like that. Jesus had compassion. And I love it when I read in the, in the Gospels where Jesus looked upon them and he had compassion on them. I just see our Savior having compassion on them, knowing that they would spit on him knowing that, that they would cuss him, knowing that they would call for his death. He has compassion on them. When he looked at me, when he looked at you in the midst of our sin, he had compassion on us. He had compassion on us. I think that, that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. But because of Israel's disobedience, you remember the four D's, Because of Israel's disobedience, God once again had to send the wooden spoon down for discipline. God sent the wooden spoon down against Israel, and he allowed the people of Ammon to attack. Now, the people of Ammon had a grudge with Israel anyhow. They had a grudge with Israel anyhow because they were accusing Israel of stealing their land. And if you remember in the Exodus, during the book of Exodus, when they were coming out and all those 40 years... That Israel did take land, but God gave them the land. And God gave them victory over the Amorites. And so basically they were wanting to come back and say, take back what the Lord had already given Israel. But the Lord was using them. See, sometimes the Lord uses things in our lives as the wooden spoon. He uses things in our life. A lot of them, though, we bring on ourselves. We call them consequences. We call them consequences, you know what I mean? And, and we see that. I don't like to think of God with a big wooden spoon. That's not our picture of God because he is a God of love. But sometimes he disciplines out of love. And it says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise when the Lord chastens you. So he's chastening Israel. He's chasing them. So Israel's in a tizzy. What do we do? What do we do? You know, they're all running around again. Once more, they're running around. They're, they're crying out to God for deliverance. And they say, well, you know what? 
the leaders of Gilead remembered Jephthah and his mighty men. So they go to him in Tob, and they ask him to fight against the people of Ammon. But Jephthah doesn't come all at once, and he asks a series of questions. Let's read 7 through 9. I love this. It's almost like he's now coming back at them. He might be saying the things that you've always wanted to say that the people that were mean to you, you know. He says in verse 7, So Jephthah said to the elders, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? That's a good question, because they did. Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? You didn't want me then. Why do you want me now? The elders again said to Jephthah, That is why we've turned again to you, that you may go with us and fight among the people of the Ammon and be overhead of all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And they said, as the Lord is our witness, you shall be our head. So he says, if the Lord gives us. So you hear, you see something special about Jephthah. He's always bringing the Lord into the conversation. So it seems like he had a really neat relationship with the Lord because he's bringing the Lord up. The leaders aren't. The leaders are not bringing the Lord up. So he agrees to be the head of their army. And it's, I found an interesting phrase in verse 11. It says, Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. I find that an interesting statement. He spoke his words before the Lord. Now, they did a lot of things in Mizpah, and it was a, it was a meeting place at a lot of times. What I got out of this, what I'm getting out of this in us is that the Lord is a witness to everything we say. The Lord hears every conversation you have, even when you speak to yourself. The Lord hears the conversations. And I love that plaque that people have at their house that says, the Lord is at every table and he hears all the conversations. You know that one I'm talking about. I like that because the Lord does hear our conversations. He overhears us. And sometimes it's like, ugh. He heard that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I want to hear him say, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, well, wait a minute. But he hears our conversations. Because everything we speak about, everything we do, is as unto the Lord, supposedly, you know. And the scripture says, you know, in one minute you're praising me, and the next minute you're cursing me. Out of the same lips. Guilty. 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 And it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart how unwilling my flesh is to serve the Lord. How just so weak the flesh can be. The Lord hears those things. I thought that to be very interesting. So Jephthah, in the rest of the chapter where we were, he tries to negotiate with the Ammonites to no avail. And then we read, as we begin our study for tonight, in verse 29, we read where his strength comes from. We studied this a little bit last time. He said, in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah to Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. I like this. We see the source of his strength. We see the source of his courage is the Holy Spirit. Now, if you haven't heard me talk about the Holy Spirit and our need for the Holy Spirit in our lives, you haven't attended any of our services. It's as simple as that. I'm always going to say you're going to need the Holy Spirit. 
I'm always going to say you can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And I'm always going to say that. I will continually say that because that is what it is. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we're beset by fears, when we're beset by anxieties, we need to fill our lives with our risen Savior who will fill our lives with the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit, which is the truth of God. He will lead us into all truth. It's his job. He leads us into all truth. We need him. He is the power source that makes us go. You start your car, the power source in your car is the battery. When you turn that ignition switch, battery sends a signal down and boom. The Holy Spirit is our power source. The Holy Spirit is what empowers us to do anything for the Lord, including living the Christian life. I want to witness for the Lord more, but I don't know how. Well, in Acts 1 verse 8, it tells you, wait for the promise on high, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you will be witnesses of me. The empower to be the witness is from the Holy Spirit. We need that. And I love the verse where it says, he advanced toward the people. Because he was encouraged, because he, he was full of the Holy Spirit, he was advancing toward the people. He didn't back up. He wasn't afraid of anybody. I think I told you the story about Elizabeth Elliot flying back over to meet the people that killed her husband. And she eventually led one to the Lord when somebody asked her, aren't you afraid? And she says, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, there is no fear. There is no fear. He has not given us a spirit of fear. We don't have that fear within us. We go forward in a sense of a spiritual progress. We go forward in a sense of confronting the enemies of God that are all around us. There are enemies of God. Everywhere we look, there's an enemy of God. And sometimes Frank and I will talk about it. We shudder to think exactly what's happening around us that we can't see. And sometimes we go, thank you, Lord, for not letting me see it. So we need that source. We need that source. We come to verse 30. We touched on this last week, and we'll we'll spend a lot of time on this this week. Jephthah makes a vow, and he makes a very rash vow. That's what Scripture says. Far more important for us to be on God's side than God to be on our side. Trust me about that. We can't persuade God to be on our side. We're going to talk a lot about that in a little bit. But what we got from this and what I said last time we met is that even people filled with the Holy Spirit can do foolish things. This was a foolish vow. The Spirit does not overwhelm or control us. The Spirit guides us. And that guidance of the Holy Spirit can be resisted or ignored in greater or smaller port. But Jephthah leads the Israelites to a great victory over the oppressors. Let's look at the rest of uh, this little section. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon, to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Arior as far as Minoth, 20 cities, and to Abel Kerimim with a great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So 
God does exactly what the vow is. It's my belief that God was going to do it anyhow, because he'd already told, he'd already told Joshua that every place you put your foot, I have given to you. And he's already told the men of Israel, this is your land. This is your land. If you seek me with all your heart, I'll be your fighter. I will fight for you. But Israel wasn't doing that. But Jephthah made this vow. Then we come to verse 34 through 40. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll see if we can come to some sort of a discussion about it. There's several camps here. I want to tell you right away. There's several camps. I'm going to pull the king of Siam in the king and I and say, it's puzzlement. Because that's how I feel about it. As Kevin and I like to say, it's one of those mysteries that we just don't understand. But there's some pretty cool things here. Let's read it, 34 through 40. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides, he had neither son nor daughter besides her. And it came to pass when he, when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You're among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done to me for me alone. Let me alone for two months, that I may go wander Elm on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man and became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. So, did he or didn't he? That's the name. Did he or didn't he? Well, there are two camps. When I read that, he did. When I read it, yeah, he fulfilled his vow. It does seem to support that claim. And many, many, many scholars greater than I would agree with that. However, there are or is another side of the story. I feel like Paul Harvey now. There is another side of the story. I'm glad there's no young people in here. They go, who? God did not ask him to make this foolish vow. If he did, it was a clear example of misguided zeal. Later on in history, Israel begins to serve a terrible pagan god by the name of Molech. He was worshipped with child sacrifice in a most terrible way. God never, ever asked his people to serve him in this manner. In fact, Scripture said God abhors this type of sacrifice, this type of offering. Because of this, many others believe that because there were various translations of the words used. There's different translation for the words used. For example... They use the word or in place of the word and in verse 31. 
Verse 31, where the word or is, it says, I will or a burnt offering. I will offer or, the word or. And in verse 40, instead of the word lament, they use the word commemorate. She went with her friends and bewailed her virginity. She knew no man. These words indicate more than likely that Jephthah set his daughter aside for tabernacle service. According to the principle of Leviticus 27, 2 to 4, when people were set apart to God in a vow, are not required to be sacrificed like animals, but were given to the Lord. Think of one who was given to the Lord by his mother. Samuel. Samuel. She dedicated it to the Lord. And when he was born, after she weaned him, In Samuel 1, she took him and gave him to the temple to serve. Is that what's happening here? We know that there were women who were set apart for the tabernacle service. They were called the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Exodus 38, 8 and 1 Samuel 2, 22. You can see that. It is likely that his daughter became one of these women who served at the tabernacle. His daughter and friends rightly sorrow that she was given to the tabernacle service because she was never married Not being married in this culture was another stigma. Not being married at a certain age was another stigma in the culture. Probably the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle were older widows could be. So here a young, young lady now is given to the tabernacle. By sending his unmarried only daughter to service of the tabernacle for the rest of their life, it shows how seriously he and his daughter took the promise of God. It does seem like the best explanation of this. It seems like the best explanation of this. Because we talked about Hebrews 11.32 when his name is mentioned in the hall of faith. If he did sacrifice his daughter, that doesn't show his faith in God. And he wouldn't be mentioned there, which is the thought. So which is it? Did he or didn't he? Did he or didn't he? I don't know. I don't know. I tend to think that he did not. I tend to think that he did not. But that him putting his daughter into a nun-like situation, you know, I, I believe that's more applicable to our God and to what went on here. However, read through the scripture again for yourself. It clearly looks like he did. He made a vow. He offered her up as a sacrifice. Does that mean he killed her? I don't know. It reads that way. It certainly does. And I'm not going to argue with you. It definitely reads that way. It looks like he did according to it. And the daughter was willing. The daughter had all kinds of faith in the world. Father, you made a vow to God. You got to follow it. Reminds me of the vow that Saul took when he was coming home from the war about whoever speaks is going to get killed. And his son spoke. Jonathan spoke out. You are the Old Testament book of Judges that you've been studying with Pastor Dave Shank gives you a glimpse into the intriguing history of the nation of Israel. The Israelites seem to cycle through a pattern. They follow God, turn away from Him, become aware of their sin, and finally repent and step back onto God's path. Each time, God brings a judge to lead them creatively back to Himself, showing His power and mercy time and time again. 
Israel's history is one we still see today. Many people fall into the same cyclical relationship with God. They follow Him for a time, fall into sin, and need to be reminded of their errors. God is always faithful to forgive, though, when you come to Him in repentance. His mercy is new every day, and He's big enough to cover every mistake from your life. We're so glad you tuned in today to Assure Hope. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard. If you have any questions about this ministry, or if you want to know more about the forgiveness God can offer you, please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. We'd love to pray with you, and we'll do our best to answer your questions. That phone number again is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Assure Hope, just visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. Be sure to check out the service times and directions to Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Thanks for being part of our time here today on Assure Hope. Assure Hope.